Hi, Ron here, one of the pastors at City Chapel. You're listening to City Chapel Radio. This is our sermon series on Luke. You can join us Sunday mornings as we read through the Gospel of Luke together and discuss it, bring up questions, anything that we want clarification on, any insight we have ourselves. You can join us at 1015 on Sunday mornings on Zoom. You can find the link to that on our website at citychapel.org. But during the week, we're going to be releasing podcasts like this uh, on each chapter uh, that maybe goes a little bit more in-depth with a study on it. Um, And so this is the first one on Luke 1. And then next week, we will release Luke 2. Hoping to release those on Sundays or Monday at the latest. Um, This first one we're releasing here on Friday is just kind of a roundup of what we've been talking about. Uh, A little more of an introduction. Luke, as you'll see in a sec, Luke himself puts an introduction in the first chapter. On these uh, podcasts, um, I'm, I'm hoping and expecting that you will have the gospel open if you're able to in front of you. Um, If you're just listening to this, maybe in the car or uh, doing the dishes or whatever, going for a walk, that's okay as well. I will be reading only the uh, verses or verse that I'm focusing in on, um, but not going to read the whole thing, uh, expecting that you will have read the chapter either before or have it pulled up in front of you. And I would... Uh, highly encourage you to have read the chapter um, before listening to this, if at all possible. Uh, and I'll put a pause for you to even pause this and go and read the chapter on each one. So I will put that pause here before we get any further. Uh, go ahead and pause this and read Luke chapter 1. All right. Now that I am hoping you read Luke chapter 1, let's dive into it. So, Luke is the only gospel that uh, gives an introduction to his gospel. The first four verses are uh, him kind of explaining what's going on. So I'm going to use this time to treat it as if it is an introduction ourselves to intro uh, the Gospel of Luke. Um, So the the first thing that comes up is, who is the author? Who's this Luke that we attribute this Gospel to? Uh, And uh, the, the quick answer is that it is, the person's name was Luke. By the late 2nd century, it was already widely uh, both across the world and by uh, many different groups of people accepted that the author of this gospel was someone whose name was Luke. Luke being a ministry partner who traveled with the Apostle Paul on many of his missionary journeys. Luke also wrote the the uh, book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. And at some point the Acts start uh, following the Apostle Paul um, most closely, and at one point in 
acts it switches from talking about paul to then the writer the author starts using we uh and most say that that's when luke lets us know that he joined up with paul and others uh on those on those uh journeys luke um was a historian uh he, he says that even uh in this introduction having followed things closely for some time past he found it good to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus who is the person he says he's writing it to um luke most likely drew upon previous written gospels which he says so himself uh in that intro most likely mark some of matthew might have been another source out there as well as just talking to um uh, primary sources and first generation disciples of jesus because luke was a uh, second generation disciple one thing Luke does really well is he keeps the reader interested in the story he's telling. He's the most prolific writer of all the gospel writers. This, this just that introduction is is he's kind of showing off his mastery of the Greek language. Uh, he's a master storyteller on um, putting us in locations and places and times. Uh, just some examples when he says a decree went out from caesar augustus or this was the first enrollment when quirinius was governor of syria in the 15th year of the reign of tiberius caesar judas the galilean arose in the days of the census and drew away some of the people and then in, in acts now herod was angry with the people of tyre and sidon but when gallia was proconsul of achaia and 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 more and more some of the major themes uh that he's going to bringing up of his theology if you will and here I'm going to be quoting from uh, a, a, another theologian that I will be drawing from a lot of uh, his commentary on Luke. Uh, his name is Fred Craddock. Um, and I'm drawing a lot from his commentary on Luke, as I said. And some of these major themes that Fred uh, brings up um, that you will see throughout the Gospel of Luke says, uh, the relation of church to synagogue Jesus to church, church to the larger world. So one of them is just the relations between different people and and things. Uh, another one is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus in the church. Uh, the definition of the gospel. What is the good news? What is the gospel? Um, the economic and political implications of the gospel. Uh, the authority of scripture. The identity of Jesus. The meaning of discipleship. Expectations of the end time. Those are just a few. Um, and speaking of gospel, many, you might hear it at different points, will say that Matthew is the gospel uh, to Jews and Luke is the gospel to Gentiles. But I find that to be only helpful to a point because we see that Luke 1 uh, treats his audience, the readers, as if they are intelligent and part of that is that they understand and know and respect the Old Testament or what Luke would have just called scripture uh, or the Hebrew Bible because Luke utilizes and shows his own understanding and respect for uh, the Old Testament and has a high view of authority of, of scripture um, 
So, I mean, he even, he many times in his stories is using exact phrases from stories in the Old Testament without letting you know and just expecting that the readers can pick up on that. Uh, and we'll, we'll mention some of those as, as we come across them. Um, and then the last thing in this introduction I want to talk about is this is a thing you'll hear us say a lot at City Chapel. Uh, and it's, it's the, it, here's the phrase. It's, we want you to know what, what you read, not read what you know. Know what you read, don't read what you know. What that means simply is that that you would be listening to what is being said that is attending to the text of the gospel as it comes to us, or as Fred Craddock puts it. But that's just, don't come in with your own preconceived understandings or what you, maybe one of the, we, we know stories in the Bible, but we might not realize that we know uh, Matthew's version of that story or Mark's or John's. And we just want to come to the text the way Luke presents the gospel to us. And to set aside our preconceived understandings of what we think, maybe the Bible teaches or Jesus teaches or how a story goes, and just come to it and to to accept the way the text comes to us as it is. Uh, not trying to change it or fit fit it into what we want it to say or be. So that's, that's the last thing I'm going to say in the introduction. So now, diving into the rest of Luke 1, I want to highlight verses 6 through 7. So I'll read those again. Uh, this is, And they were both righteous before God. He's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. I I bring this up because this there, there's a belief out there uh, that that blessings one might receive from God or the opposite uh, hardships in our life are a direct relationship to how obedient or disobedient we are to God. That the more righteous you are, the more blessings you get. Um, and that usually shows up in money and things. Uh, and and then the opposite, we, we believe that, oh man, the reason all these hard things are happening in my life must be because I've been disobedient or I angered God for some reason. But we see here that this couple, who, who the text says are completely righteous, um, and uh, blameless in all the commandments before God, and yet had this hardship and this this hard thing happening to them. Because I just want to get that out there, that there is no correlation between those two things. But what we do see here in this part is that God does hear our prayers. Because it says not too long later, the angel shows up and says, "God, Zechariah, God heard your prayers. Now we don't know when Zechariah prayed. Was he praying right then? Had he prayed earlier that day, the day before, recently? Had that been years ago that he was praying and he stopped praying about it because he just assumed they both were too old by now to have kids? We don't know, but we do see that God does hear our prayers. But also that God's timing is different 
uh, than ours and what we might want. Um, what we see in other parts of scripture, Romans 8 being one of them, that God's timing is for the good of all, not just the individual. Many times they overlap, but not always. But that one, uh, uh, blessings or hardships are not a correlation, a direct correlation between whether you, how obedient or righteous or disobedient or whatever you are, but that God does hear our prayers, but that God's timing isn't always what we want. I'm going to jump ahead now to verse 16, and that reads, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's uh, Gabriel speaking to, to Zechariah. Many of the people of God at this point were turned away from God and needed to repent and turn back. And I just I bring that up because the same is true of today. Many who sit in the pews of our churches each and every week are actually turned away from God. And it's, and it's our duty, our uh, out of love, I should say, it's a loving thing to, in gentleness, to turn them back towards God. But I also want to to bring it up in case you realize that you are that person. You're that person who maybe you're listening to this to a podcast like this for the first time, or maybe you participate in the church constantly, or everyone assumes that you are a you are a Christian or whatever it might be. Are you that person that is turned away from God? And I just want to say that it's never too late to turn back to God. Whether you're, you are you embarrassed of what you've done or are doing now, worried that the church is a bunch of just judgmental jerks. First, I want to say I'm sorry that that has been the case for much of our history in many places and still today. But here at City Chapel, we celebrate anyone, no matter who they are or what they are, when they turn back to God at any point. We all have things in our lives that we need to repent of. Repenting being a, a changing of mindset as well as a turning of the self in the opposite direction. So that turning back to God. Uh, we all have things in our lives we need to repent of, myself included, and turn back to God. This is not a thing to, to hide. Uh, and no matter who the person is when they do turn back to God, that's a thing we celebrate. So I just want to bring that part up, that that was still the case then, and it is still the case now. The next part I want to focus on is actually two verses uh, separated. One is verse 34, but reflecting on verse 18. So I'm going to read um, verse 18 first. This is Zechariah's response to Gabriel, the angel. He says, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. But then verse 34, Mary's response to Gabriel, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? I just, my question to wonder is, what's the difference between Zechariah and Mary's response? Because they're almost identical. And yet, the angel rebukes Zechariah for disbelief and says, you're going to be mute. This will be the sign that you, you have. You won't be able to speak until these things come to pass, that being... Uh, his son being born, and him naming him John. Uh, and then with Mary, um, 
Gabriel doesn't rebuke her for her disbelief, but ends up giving her a little bit more information. Uh, and she she then responds uh, in the affirmative of, okay, let, let it be done. I'm, I'm God's servant. Um, and that is a bit of the difference. Uh, it's a combo of a couple things. God, one, God knowing what's in the heart of people and God judging the inside, not the outside. Zechariah is on the outside, one who should be the favored one, but that's the title Mary gets. Zechariah was a priest. He's male in Aaron's line. Uh, He's in the temple. But in fact, it's Mary, the small town girl, who is the favored one. Uh, Zechariah is told almost everything he needs to know ahead of time, and yet he still questions. And we can also see that his question was more out of a, I don't believe you because of this, because we're too old. Whereas Mary isn't told everything and asks for clarification. And then when she's told the rest of the details, she believes. Because God judges the heart, Mary was curious how God was going to accomplish it, whereas Zechariah doubted it would happen. But this situation also shows us that God is at work both within institutions and without. God works within the church today, uh, within denominations, within church services and all that, and God works without. He uses the priest in the temple during the time of burning incense with Zechariah, and he uses the woman out in the middle of nowhere. And we can infer that God also uses everywhere in between. God can and wants to utilize you if you are willing to open yourself up to God. The next part I want to focus on is Mary's song called The Magnificat. Now I'm not going to read it because it's it's, uh, more than just a couple verses. Um, It's about 9 or 10. But... um, If you want to turn uh, to verse 46 where it starts, this this song, Mary's song here, mirrors Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. So if you want to turn to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 2, and and read Hannah's song, it's very similar. But here, Mary's song, the Magnificat, called that because that's the first word in the Latin version of this, uh, it, it shows the themes that Luke will bring up again and again. And this song is a theological song about who God is and what God is up to. It's been a a section that's been difficult for the church to talk about for a long time, probably because a woman said it and it's theological and the church didn't know what to do with with that, unfortunately, Uh, but also because it implicates a lot of us in the church because it shows us that God is on the side of the poor and needy while the rich will go away with nothing. God overthrows the corrupt governments and those who align themselves with corrupt power, those who are not just, and God will raise up the lowly. This uh, this section of John and Jesus's birth announcements uh, that that's around here with Mary and Elizabeth being near one another is I'm going to spend some time comparing and contrasting that now. Um, but before I jump into that, I just want to highlight again uh, that that is one of the major themes we're going to see throughout Luke, that what God has been up to, is up to, and will continue to be up to, is raising up the lowly and bringing down the, the rich and powerful. So now I'm comparing 
and contrasting John and Jesus's birth announcements. The, f- the first thing I want to just highlight is that John is from an old couple and will close out the old age, age meaning era. And Jesus is of a young couple and will usher in the new age or the new era. Fred Craddock points out uh, the historical allusion is to Rebecca in whose womb Esau and Jacob struggled. The message being in both cases that the, the elder shall serve the younger. And you can see that, that story in Genesis 25. The theological point there being that the prenatal activity, because it precedes all merits or works, uh, the, the babies could not have done anything because they haven't even been born yet, but it witnesses to the sovereign will of God. And Elizabeth humbles herself before Mary, just as her son John will humble himself before Mary's son Jesus. And what God has done for Mary anticipates and models what God will do for the poor, the powerless, and the oppressed of the world. Again, that central theme uh, which you, is the second part of Mary's song, the triumph of God's purposes for all people everywhere, the lowly raised up and the lofty brought low. One of the things Luke brings up, though, is something that we need to be aware of. It's a problem for many of us. And it's this, that a person whose work it is to point others to Jesus can themselves become the objects and centers of the attention, affection, and loyalty of many. And this can be a downfall. And uh, this thing that we need to be wary of, this uh, looking to those who uh, their job is to point us to Jesus, usually it's celebrity pastors or, or someone who became famous while talking about Jesus, whatever that might be, um, we can't get caught up on the person talking about Jesus uh, and and raising them up too much. Because it, it's supposed to be about Jesus, not about the person talking about Jesus. Uh, we can't give too much attention, affection, or loyalty to those people, um, which we have, all of us, myself included, uh, uh, a tendency and a... a uh, just we need to be cautious in doing that too much. Because we see that happening in the story with Minnie to John, um, with Jesus. And then the last bit I want to highlight is Zechariah's prophecy. When his tongue is finally loosed, it says, uh, when John is born and he, he prophesies. Um, it's a wonderful summary of what Jesus and John will do. Um, the funny thing is, though, that the first thing Zechariah starts prophesying about is actually what Jesus will do, not even his newborn son, John. Then he gets into a little bit what John will. Um, But this prophetic song draws heavily on on many portions, Malachi 3 and 4, Isaiah 9, uh, 42. There's a beautiful line at the end of Zechariah's prophecy that echoes Malachi 4. Uh, Zechariah, when the day shall dawn upon us from on high, Malachi 4, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing on its wings. Um, But that first part praises God, not for sending John, Zechariah's newborn son, but for raising up, quote, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That is, for sending us Jesus. This is full of Old Testament allusions. Those verses are distinctly Jewish. Uh, with psalms of praise to God as deliverer and to thanksgiving psalms 
Um, Fred Craddock says that Jewish eschatological hopes will be fulfilled, promises will be kept, the covenant with Abraham will be remembered, and all enemies will be overthrown by the horn of salvation, uh, which is the power of God we see in 1 Samuel 2, verse 10, whom God has raised up. Of course, when read by disciples of Jesus, these verses ring true to the Christian faith still today. So you might have just heard a sigh in the background that was uh, our puppy Finley. Uh, She's wishing that I would stop recording this podcast and play with her. So she is in luck because I just finished this first one. That is Luke 1. Uh, We'll we'll put out Luke 2 um, this Sunday or Monday. Uh, I'll be looking for that. And uh, thanks for listening. I hope this has been somewhat insightful. Um, Luke 2, just a little preview, is the birth of Jesus, uh, what the family does, um, and then uh, even the story of boy Jesus in the temple uh, um, when he was about 12 years old. Um, So that's for next time. Thanks for listening to City Chapel Radio. Uh, Have a good one.